Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. All right, here is the NFL Live timeline for a Wednesday, 8.18 a.m. The Eagles announced that they signed wide receiver Jordan Matthews, who spent his three seasons in Philadelphia before being traded to the Buffalo Bills. The Eagles also placed wide receiver Mike Wallace on injured reserve. And 10 a.m., the Jaguars announced running back Leonard Fournette will return to practice today. Fournette missed Sunday's game against the Patriots with a hamstring injury. And 11.52 a.m., Variety is reporting that Maroon 5 will be performing at the Super Bowl halftime show in Atlanta. So we know our coach, John Fox, has moves like Jagger, so we should be good to go with that. <laughs> Welcome wow. to NFL Live. Jack Collinsworth, Josina Anderson, Coach John Fox, and three-time Super Bowl champ over on the end. Teddy Bruschi, it is in all 32 wins. What do you guys think about Maroon 5, anyway? I was hoping for Drake, a little hotline bling. You know what I'm saying? I'm with it. You know about yeah, that, Coach? I, 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 I do know about that. I, yeah, yeah. Okay. I listened to that in practice <laughs> last year. Okay. If Drake would have been in, I would have been in for some Drake. All right, okay. It's an all 32 Wednesday. Real big on this concept. So we're going to hit every NFL team around the league during the course of this show, starting with the Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles head coach, Doug Peterson, announced Monday that Carson Wentz has been cleared for contact after tearing both his left ACL and LCL in week 14 of last season. Wentz will start this week against the Indianapolis Colts in Philly. You know, obviously I was excited. You know, it's been a long time coming. It's been uh, quite the grind of an offseason. And uh, just throughout all of this, a lot of the unknown of, of when and all those things. I, mean, I know you guys were dying to know. I was dying to know at the same time, you know. So there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of excitement, uh, almost almost relieved to finally, you know, be cleared and get back out there. I mean, I was frustrated just um, in the sense of, you know, not at anybody, just that I wasn't going to be out there. You know, anytime you miss a game, it's, uh, it's, it's not enjoyable. My goal was week one and just came up a little short, but... Um, you know, I knew the, the medical staff and um, the trainers and really everybody involved, coaches, uh, put, a, put a good plan together. And, you know, I, I trusted what, uh, what they had to say. I realize live action is going to feel a little different. But, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough the last couple of weeks going against the, the defense, you know, as a scout quarterback. So, obviously, they play extremely fast. So, uh, you know, just seeing those things and the more experience out there, the, the better. But I think it will come second nature once I'm out there. I mean, playing at home is always positive. You know, I'm definitely going to cherish, you know, running out of that tunnel. I'm going to cherish um, the time just finally being back out there with the guys after missing these games and uh, the long rehab, everything. You know, like like you kind of said, there's going to be a lot of emotions going on. Uh, but once the game starts, it's just football again. He, he looked good. I mean, he looked healthy. Um, our doctors evaluated him yesterday. Um, I didn't see any issues in the workout, and, and um, he's ready to go. What he's seen through watching, you know, watching Nick – and what what Carson has studied on tape, I, I think I think it can only help him, you know, sort of enhance his game a little bit. And sort of big picture, you, you get a chance to see everything and and take everything in uh, from that from that view. It's a it's a different view, and and it's a positive view. And and uh, so that's why you know uh, moving forward, I'm, I'm excited to to see where he's at in that in that progression of his of his game. I'll tell you something, they've they've been very uh, complimentary of Nick as well. 
and, and that's that's good to see because we got we're blessed to have two special quarterbacks, and and obviously now with with Carson coming back, you know they're they're excited, you know to, to as they say the band is slowly coming together, and and uh, this is one one piece of it. Pretty big piece of that band. This is Carson Wentz. He produced some amazing football all the way around in 2017, but he was at his best when he was moving around and making plays. His 92 QBR when operating outside the pocket was the best in the NFL, and Wentz was tied for the NFL lead with six touchdown passes on such plays, but it remains to be seen how much Wentz and the Eagles will use that mobility early on. But I'm going to tell you what, Josina, those receivers are all kinds of banged up. What's the latest with that crew? Well, right now they're not doing very well. They rank 29th in receiving yards with 177. They're dead last in yards per reception at 8.1. So come into the picture right now, Jordan Matthews, someone that they drafted in 2014, was traded to Buffalo, and then the Patriots let him go in August. They're hoping that he can add to the production, particularly guys, when you have Alshon Jeffrey out with that shoulder injury. And I talked to Alshon Jeffrey on the phone a couple of days ago. He said, Joe, I think I'll be coming back to practice at least in a limited basis. As far as my game status, that is to be determined. I also talked to Mike Wallace a couple of hours ago. He's still in Florida at the time. Just had his surgery on the fibula. They thought initially that they weren't going to have to do it, but because he does, now he's on IR. He still thinks he can come back. He doesn't have any problem with Jordan Matthews coming on the team because he said, Joe, we play two different positions. He still hopes that they'll bring him back and to contribute, but right now he was hoping that he would play with Carson Wentz. Didn't happen. Still hasn't uh, had a catch this whole time that he was with Philly. Well, it's worth noting the Eagles wide receivers, 8.1 yards per reception. That is the worst of any receiving core in the NFL all season so far this year. So here we go. Speaking of teams with drama at wide receiver, the Steelers are headed into week three's Monday night showdown against Fitzmagic and the Bucks. Pittsburgh winless through two games and the Bucks off to their first 2-0 start since 2010. Though Big Ben and company are confident that the Steel Curtain can get past the Twitter feed and straighten this thing out. Any team, any sport is going to have some kind of distractions throughout the year. Um, I think that's what makes you professional is that how can you respond, recover um, from it. And he is the best in the world. And uh, when you're the best in the world, you want to help participate. You want to win football games. And we're all a little frustrated because we're not winning right now. I didn't see the sideline thing uh, when it happened. Um, and, and he was talking to Coach Randy, and Coach Randy was – you know, kind of dealt with it as a leader. He did in terms of uh, his his tweet or whatever. He didn't attack me or anything like that. If I felt like it was personally coming from him and not just a reaction to someone else, then maybe I'd have a little more worry. But but as of now, I don't feel that. AB is a very passionate football player. I think we all know that. The fans know that. And, and that's what makes him special is, is his passion for this game and the passion to be great. And so we're not going to want to take that away from him. Uh, when he's getting frustrated in games, I just tell him to, to stay with me and we'll find, talk to me, communicate with me, let me know how I can, um, if I missed you on something, if there's a way you're getting open and I didn't see you, just, let's just talk and communicate, and he does a great job of doing that. Well, in preseason, FPI had Pittsburgh among the favorites to make the playoffs and to win the Super Bowl, but those percentage chances have plummeted as they stand winless through two games. The most recent team to win the Super Bowl after going winless through two games was the 2007 Giants. Steelers reporter Jeremy Fowler has more on the drama in Pittsburgh. Antonio Brown is back to work. He's here at Steelers headquarters, and the team is practicing right now. Brown could speak to the media after that session, although he typically doesn't talk until Fridays. But there don't appear to be any lingering issues inside the locker room. In fact, Ben Roethlisberger came out in full support of his receiver after what's been a turbulent 72 hours. 
Roethlisberger said he understands where Brown is coming from. A.B. is a passionate player, Roethlisberger said. That's what makes him great. We don't want to take that away from him. The bigger issue inside the locker room is the 0-1-1 start and giving up 42 points to the Chiefs last week. Linebacker Bud Dupree told me that they let Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes dictate far too much at the line of scrimmage. And against the Bucks on Monday Night Football, Dupree doesn't want to make the same mistake against red-hot quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. And let's not forget, too, we also have Le'Veon Bell drama on the table, offensive linemen talking, Foster Pouncey saying a few things, now A.B. What are you hearing, Josina, about what the team is saying with the A.B. latest? Well, first of all, I talked to two players, one on offense, one on defense, and both of them said that they didn't even realize that Antonio Brown wasn't at the facility on Monday. They didn't find out until it was on social media, and then at that point, it didn't even prompt them to even ask about it. So I said, listen, we know at this point that the agent has said this was a personal matter, but in the context of his tweet saying, trade me or let's find out, or the fact that there was that sideline exchange, what do you think? And the player said to me, I thought that the sideline exchange was not much because nobody was talking about it. I didn't even see it. And as far as the tweet, that was personal to a former employee. I didn't take it as a shot to any of us. It was a you know, shot you know, basically to that person. So he said, all in all, I don't think this is a big deal. People are trying to make it seem like we're collapsing, we're in turmoil. But it's just week three, and I'm not concerned. Yeah, just it's going to continue to seem like that until it's squashed. The Le'Veon Bell thing squashed. I mean, that such an emotional reaction that they had when that happened. And then you, on top of that, you don't beat the Cleveland Browns. And you don't lose to them either, but it's like still, it's a tie. I'm sure then, then, then the A-B tweet. So it's all going downhill for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Some, but they are in so desperate need of a win. I'll, let me just say that. They need a victory so Mike Tomlin can gather the troops in the locker room after the game and say, okay, fellas, let's start this season and put this all behind you. Because right now the players, I don't know how much... They'll believe until they got a win. They got a win to say, okay, yeah, we are back on track, and getting the win is really what's going to help them move on. Yeah, winning cures all ills, for sure. You know, and Mike Tom is a Super Bowl winning coach. Uh, they, they're done lost. He hasn't lost that locker room. There's always distractions in the NFL every week. You're two games away from disaster, and then all of a sudden, you just got to get a W. And I think, you know, he's going he's gonna to get this turned around. They've got a good football team. They're, my concern is more about them are on defense. And I think we mentioned that as far as the points given up. Uh, that's something Mike's a, a defensive-minded coach, and he's going to get that right. Coach, what do you actually do here? What, what do you do? You bring the whole team together. I mean, you have a conversation. you got to do something with how crazy this has become, right? Well, I think probably with the Le'Veon situation, they did talk about as a team. You know, I think that's been done. You know, as far as A.B., I think that's just A.B. You know, he's frustrated, whether it's the sideline stuff. Oh, the whole tweeting thing is ridiculous. I don't know why any of them do it anyways, but but that's something you, you deal with. Make them money. Right? Well, I, I don't know if some of them get paid for it. They just like it. Right? <laughs> okay, Whatever it's the, the non-coach team meeting is coming. Yeah. I'm telling you that we hear about all oh, the players mm-hmm. met and just coaches get out of here. We need to talk because that's the next step. So Le'Veon Bell doesn't come in. You have an emotional reaction. Let's have a talk. We have a talk. We tie the Cleveland Browns. Let's have a talk. Okay, now Antonio Brown in this, I don't think this was a big deal. It's more of it because of the, because of the previous two things. But still, 
you get tired of talk sometimes. Yeah. And, and the only thing that's going to help is winning football games. Yeah, they got to go out and play. And can I just say this, too? One of the players said to me that even after they lost to Kansas City, that really Ben Roethlisberger and Cam Haywood have been a steadying presence in the locker room. After that loss to KC, they basically said that Cam Haywood was like, listen, we're not where we want to be. This is not the start that we want to have. But let's let the coaches coach the plays and not the players. And for this player, that meant let's just focus on the game. And he felt like that was a really steady studying voice, particularly when they got Tampa next, right? So yeah. that's going to be on the road. They better hope they don't have much Fitzmagic coming their way next because that's and, and been some something pretty hair. special, Everybody too. Everybody got to deal with that you. chest here. This year, brand new to NFL Live. This is on New England's newest acquisition, wide receiver Josh Gordon on the practice field for the first time with the Patriots. He is not number 12, believe it or not. Uh, Brady was not going to give that up. <laughs> no. Will he make his debut on Sunday night against the Lions? Only time will tell. We will now have a cup of Joe. i got to say, I've been looking forward to this all day. Oh, really? It's an honor to have a uh, cup of fake Joe here with you. <laughs> not fake Joe. Fake. <laughs> fake of whatever is not in the cup right now. So, so we're going to start with, uh, with Khalil Mack. Yes. What are you hearing so far about his leadership with that Bears D? Well, I talked to Bears cornerback Prince Amukamara last night, and he said the biggest impact with Khalil Mack being on that team is how he's impacting quarterback timing and also leadership. He said, obviously, when you have an elite pass rusher, typically, historically, it takes about three to three and a half seconds to get to a quarterback. But with Khalil Mack, that's down into the twos. So take Russell Wilson, for example. In that first game against the Broncos, is about an average of 3.08 seconds to get to the quarterback with Khalil Mack in that Monday night football it was 2.6 so he's saying that resulted in Russell Wilson throwing his first pick six his since his rookie year and obviously Prince Amukamara getting his first pick six in his career so he's saying you're seeing the impact on the front end and also on the back end with that and doing it against Russell Wilson which is almost impossible to do to go get a pick six so there you go let's flip it to the other side of the ball if we can and Mitch Trubisky what do you hear about the team's confidence level in the young QB well, Prince Amukamara said that the good thing about him is that he's continuing to develop in his own skin. And he has the comfort of knowing that he's in an offense with Matt Nagy who can put him in places to minimize trouble. So despite the fact that he had those two interceptions in the game, he knows that, listen, it, even if I just throw the smaller passes, we can still make these into big games, similar to Alex Smith. The concern from another player was is for Mitchell Trubisky to not feel like he has to be like Patrick Mahomes, who came out of a similar offense or is with that similar offense and Andy Reid, also because they have the same scheme and similar cast of characters. He said, listen, we just want you to be you and realize that we are going to come along in our own way and just take your time and know that we are going to develop on our own pace, so to speak. All right, I like it. Let's have a cup of joe on that. A little cheers. Here we go. All right, a little, <laughs> okay. a little, really? fake, little fake cup of joe as we move <laughs> to the Falcons and some red zone offense here. Yes. So it was rough, but they turned it around against the Panthers. How? Well, remember, in the first game, this was definitely a big issue against the Eagles where they were one for five in the red zone. But I was talking to coaches on that staff who said, listen, we know we didn't have a great game plan, but we believe that we needed to stay aggressive. So obviously they got the four touchdowns in the end zone. This is the game that I covered, guys, over this weekend. So I saw it in person. After the game, I had an opportunity to talk to Julio Jones. He said, see, I told you, what we realized is that we were just one player off being in the wrong position. We realized that we don't have to force it. We have the talent. 
So now Julio said, if you double me, people now have to realize that Ido Smith is a threat, that Calvin Ridley is a threat, and that Austin Hooper is a threat, and that we can still get it done. So now that we crossed that threshold and kind of broke the dam, you saw the touchdowns were coming like, yeah. It's real. It's very real. <laughs> right. Calvin Ridley's very right. real. Muhammad yes. Sanu, he did the same thing exactly. for A.J. Green. Now he's doing it right. there for, uh, for Matt Ryan, for, <laughs> for the whole crew. For uh, the whole crew. There you go. Rams <laughs> and this loaded Jags D have been putting in work since last season. They own the NFL's most efficient defense in that time. They've allowed the lowest QBR and recorded a league-high eight defensive touchdowns. Jacksonville paid big money for this defense with an NFL-high $285 million in guaranteed committed to defensive players. And with markets and real estates in mind, we will turn to a man now whose market is always on the rise in our Teddy Bruschi. So, Teddy, which team around the NFL has the strongest foundation in your mind's eye? Strong foundation that gives you years and years of quality housing. All right? Yes, sir. I'll, I'll go with the Los Angeles Rams. All right. Why so? They're one of the youngest teams in the league at 25.3 years old. That's a fact. But also, you got a young quarterback. Your running back's locked up. you got plenty of guys on defense. A good, promising young head coach. This team is going to be here for the foreseeable future for a while because it's just how they're built. The energy of the coach I also love. Let's go with the Los Angeles Rams. Foundation, right. strong and solid. You went all in on that. I love it. I respect it. And I appreciate it, too. We're going to send it now. How about a little remodel, coach? A little maybe redo the kitchen or something? Which team for you? Yeah, it could be a bathroom. could be a kitchen. Be. Uh, I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers. Yep. Uh, a couple big reasons. I think, well, number one is their uh, defense. Is that's It's really strong. It's playing really well now. But getting Thomas Davis back all right, after his suspension, that's going to be helpful. On offense, uh, Greg Olson's out of his boot. They really missed him a week ago in a tight game against Atlanta. All right, but getting him back is going to be huge, not only on the field, but in the locker room. All right, so we'll go back. We'll go back to Teddy. Which, which, or is this Josina? Most likely to be evicted. Who's going with that? You know, we look alike. <laughs> it's my sister. It's me. It's Who's most likely to be evicted? It, which team it, right I now? I would have to say the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, on that 0 and 2 start, you yep. lose your first game, 47 to 3. That's by a whole bunch of points. After that, to the Chargers, 31 20. And when you're coming off of all of this hope that was supposed to be behind having Josh Allen, the fact that you had a quarterback there and it was such a dramatic exit for Tyron. Taylor after Nathan Peterman putting him back in. Then A.J. McCarron. Now you don't even want him. It's just too much drama. And then, of course, the coup de grace is your boy. Leaving at halftime, giving you the deuces on that. Nobody has seen that anywhere. Teddy hasn't seen that anywhere. On Listen, that. you're yeah. underlining foreclosure with a big red stamp. Okay? I'm going to tell you what. We're just going to keep pushing this thing until we knock the windows out. We're going to go again. Quarterback most likely to be evicted. So Teddy now we're right. kicking them out. All right? That's right. Someone that's not paying their rent. Yep. Right, I'm going to go with Sam Bradford. Of the okay. Cardinals. All right. It's just we need everything has to be perfect for Sam Bradford in the pocket to be successful. I've got to be able to stand back there, survey the field and not get any pressure in my face because any pressure and it's a, and I'm going to have problems. He's been having problems with the pressure, not being accurate. And you got a young quarterback in Rosen sort of sitting there. Everybody wants to see him. So you got this shiny new house coming in that maybe is going to pay the rent a little bit better. You're going to get kicked out. Watch All out, right. Sam Bradford. All right, sounds good. What about market value rising here, Josina? Who do you like? Can there be any other candidate for this no. than Fitz? 
Pimp Patrick, okay? <laughs> Listen, coming out the gate, first of all, you're a backup. Nobody even thought you could do it. And then you laid W's on Philadelphia and the Saints. I mean, these are teams that we thought would be huge contenders and still do at least with the Eagles. I don't know what you think about the Saints. You know, coming out the gate, you're throwing all these dimes and touchdowns. You're even getting Deshaun Jackson involved. So especially when you come out on the podium and you got that jacket, you got the chest hair, you got the two chains, four chains, and every rapper dripping from your – I have to give it to Ryan Pimpatrick. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, with, I'm 100% with that one. How about a player coach with their market value going this way? Huh. Well, that's really kind of hard to pin this on this guy because he hasn't even played a game yet. Yeah. All right, but to Josina's point, all right, with the riser, I've got to go Jameis Winston. I mean, I know he hadn't played, but the guy in front of him is playing so darn well. I don't see any way that Dirk Cutter can make that change. Now, that football team uh, doesn't think about it right now. Just listen to the comments coming out of that locker room. All right, I've got to go with Jameis Winston. All right, well, the Bucks have been on fire with, with Fitzpatrick. There's no question about it. He's got 50 touchdown passes this season. The Bucks had two offensive plays or 50, uh, 50 yards or more all of last season. That's, that's a tough little, uh, tough little nugget to take down. So there you go. What do we have? We got some press coverage coming in. Broncos quarterback Case Keenum as we take a look here. This is from Legwald, our ESPN senior writer. Broncos quarterback Case Keenum will not practice Wednesday because Keenum did receive treatment after Sunday's win over the Redskins as well this week. He is expected to practice at least some Thursday and play Sunday in Baltimore. Chad Kelly will work with the starting offense on Wednesday and Kevin Hogan getting the scout team work as well. Geico presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh Uh-huh. What else? I look in the mirror and... (laughs) I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire. But with GEICO, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. All right, it is Tweet 30, we call it. This is um, not quite to Tweet 30, but this little press coverage here. This is from ESPN's Catherine Terrell. Joe Mixon said he had a slight meniscus tear. He said he feels really great, better than he did after the game. There will certainly be some former coordinators going back against their old squads this week. Frank Reich returns to Philly where he served as offensive coordinator for the Eagles under Doug Peterson in 2016 during their 2017 Super Bowl campaign as well. And he spoke with the Eagles, or some of the Eagles that is, spoke today about facing their old OC. I'm excited to see Frank again, obviously, but at the same time, we're, we're, you know, we're up on, on the things that he could make them aware of. You watch them on offense and there's a lot of similarity too so we kind of have an idea of some of the offensive structure that they they have in place i actually congratulated him after the game sunday for you know his first win as a head coach and and uh reached out in his dance and and all of that and it'll be it'll be fun to see him again frank's awesome you know i love frank when he when he left uh i was you know sad to see him go but excited for him you know i know uh i just love what he's about i love what he stands for um and i think they they got a great coach in indianapolis all right, so we'll welcome in now our Eagles Nation reporter, Tim McManus. Uh, so you just left practice. Carson Wentz is making his first start in nine months following that knee injury. What should we expect from him? What did he look like at practice, Tim? 
in many ways the same old Carson Wentz. Now he was out there with a knee brace and he had a black sleeve that was covering that up on his left leg today. But otherwise, no outward signs that he's coming off of a major injury. And really, it's been that way for several weeks now. And when he spoke prior to practice, he said that he still fully intends on using his legs as a weapon and extending plays. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be the same Houdini like Wentz that we saw when he was at the peak of his game last season, but he is going to be in attack mode. And Coach Doug Peterson, the same way, said that he's not going to coach scared. So while they'll be smart, obviously, in his first game back against the Colts on Sunday, they're definitely not going to take the timid approach when when it comes to Carson Wentz. Can't do it, Tim. Great stuff. Thank you very much, sir. And we, we will have all kinds of former coordinators who are going back against their mentors. Matt Patricia going back against Bill Belichick on Sunday. Patricia started his NFL coaching career in New England in 2004 and served as the Patriots defensive coordinator from 2012 to 2017. Both Patricia and Belichick spoke about the matchup today. And that's a good coach. He, he does an excellent job in all areas very competitive coach so we're gonna have to do a good job offensively of identifying the the many variables that that, uh, Matt will put in front of us. I think the biggest thing for me is I gotta make sure I don't almost give too much information to our players where I'm you know obviously know that team on a a very intimate level where um, I kind of overdo the information to our players where we almost paralyze them to in effect. So Sunday's affair between the Pats and the Lions will mark the 20th time Bill Belichick has faced a former assistant coach in the regular season. So how has the pupil fared in the matchups? Well, Belichick holds an 11-8 edge over his four former assistants. That might be not quite as high as you might anticipate, winning each of the last four games against his disciples. So, Teddy, if, if you had to say, as we welcome you into the Verizon film room over here, if you had to say, what kind of an advantage would it be for Belichick going against his former guys or right, the other women? Well, right now, based on last week, I'll say this. I think Matt Patricia may have a little bit of an advantage. And I'll say that because what Jacksonville had success against them, uh, the, the Patriots' defense, short, easy crossers, nice, nice safe passes to the running backs were very successful. Actually, there were free runners on crossers. This is fundamental stuff. So how do they fix those problems, and what are their adjustments? I think Matt Patricia knows those adjustments and how to continue to to attack those. So that can be said on both sides. Yes, I know this, but seeing the problems and trying to attack them again, I think Matt Patricia could have an advantage. Coach, you ever go up against any former assistants, OCs, DCs? Oh, yeah. The other way around? Oh, well, one guy, Jack Del Rio, I I faced him twice after he came and worked and went away. He went to Jacksonville out of Carolina where he was our defensive coordinator. And then later on when I was in Denver, hired him back, and uh, he actually went to the Raiders, which were in our division so uh, we, we had a good record we had a good football team to me it came down to really kind of who had a better better squad and in those cases uh, we were fortunate is there, is there any mind game to it where you're thinking there's there's one or two things here that I know he knows that he knows I know <laughs> and I'm not going to use it because of that or something different is there any game going on there well I like what Matt Patricia said sometimes you got to be you know, a little cautious to give guys too much information. You know, they better be focused on what they've got to do and not so much about what they do. I uh, just make sure everybody, because usually the team that wins executes the best. And I'll tell you, I've been in meetings before where yeah. Bill has played someone that he's coached with before, and he says, guys, this is what he's going to do. I'm telling you right now. It's going to be third and seven. They're going to run this route. It's going to be right here. All we have to do is stop that. And then knowing that connection as players, you believe that even more wholeheartedly. And so when that situation comes, bang, you're so much. I love
love it. I love it. So yeah. do you, you get the feeling from from coach, like along what lines is it where he's where he's going? This is so this specific thing because he taught him this. He put this in his brain so hard he believes they can't get away from him. Is that the idea? Even with lines like. I've coached with this guy for 15 years. This is the way it's been year one, and this is the way it is year 15. It's not going to change for you. You're not that special, all right? Telling yeah. players this, and so this is what it's going to be, believe me. And then you see it on the field, and hopefully you make a big play on it. That's awesome. So, so what about with Frank Wright going up against his former team? How is that one different or the same here? I'm going to defer with you on this one. Well, I mean, I mean it's unique because in one case, you got two defensive guys, you know, and Matt yep. Patricia and, and Bill Belichick. And in this case, you got two offensive guys. So I can promise you they were over there talking to the defensive coordinators of each side, kind of saying what you can expect uh, on offense. But most of that's between the coaches. And then it would be up to that side of the ball to communicate that to the players. But, you know, again, they're good friends. They just won a Super Bowl together. You know, so but now they're now they're competitors. And it all goes out the window for that. So, so would you say, is it, is it even possible to say teacher, mentor, or student, who would have an advantage? I mean, you got to say probably the, the mentor. What would you say? Is I would anything? say in this situation, when you're the mentor and you have a world championship roster behind you, I mean, that's the advantage. That's the advantage. <laughs> that's the advantage. I mean, it's about players, not plays. Yeah, so if, right, I'm, yeah. if I'm Frank Reich and I'm thinking, this is, what I, this is what I can do. This is where, they're, where we would usually attack, but oof. That Fletcher Cox guy is pretty good, and we probably shouldn't try to do that anyway. So yeah. let's go somewhere else. So there are certain players, you know, schemes work, but you know that that guy's just too good. You can't do it. So this is from ESPN Cowboys reporter Todd Archer. Jason Garrett said he anticipates Sean Lee doing something at practice Wednesday after a hamstring issue cropped up late in the win against the New York Giants. He is such an important piece of that defense. So there you go. That is the news on the Dallas Cowboys right now. For teams off to a 2-0 start, that is a money position with regard to earning a postseason burst. Since the playoffs expanded to 12 teams in 1990, 62% of 2-0 teams have gone on to make the playoffs. That number goes down to 41% for 1-1 squads. And get this, only 12% of 0-2 teams are able to make the playoffs, or have gone to the playoffs. That's something else right there. Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers faced an electric Kansas City offense led by Patrick Mahomes, who last week became the youngest player to throw six touchdowns in a game on the eve of his 23rd birthday. Mahomes and Andy Reid are excited. I've had this game circled for a long time. I'm just being able to play at home in front of these fans. It's going to be it's going to be an amazing thing. They have a, a big defensive line, so, I mean, it's going to be a great challenge for us. There's going to be learning experiences going on here. So, And everything hasn't been roses to this point. It looks like it, but it, that's not that's not been the case. So he's got a ton of things to work on. I try to make sure I know everything, uh, but uh, I try. I go in there and I draw up some plays, and he's like, yeah, I already thought about that. I like that. And he's always going to push me. Uh, he, he's never going to be satisfied with where with what I'm doing and where I'm at. I mean, but that's how I feel about myself. You never want to be satisfied with one good performance. You want to make sure you can sustain that for a whole entire season or a whole entire career. So it is a historic start for Mahomes' 2018 season. So what's next for him? With three touchdown passes Sunday, Mahomes would break the NFL record for the most touchdown passes through the first three games of a season. How about it? Peyton Manning set that mark in 2013, going on to set a single-season record with 55 that year. Our Chiefs reporter Adam Teicher has more with KC's hot start. Thanks, Jack. 
The Chiefs made it clear they were comfortable with Patrick Mahomes as their starting quarterback during the offseason when they traded Alex Smith to Washington, but that doesn't mean they're not surprised by his fast start. Wide receiver Chris Conley, who caught one of Mahomes' six touchdown passes in last week's win over the Pittsburgh Steelers, told me afterwards the level of confidence and poise Mahomes has, I've never seen it anywhere. Mahomes has 10 touchdown passes, which is an NFL record for the first two games of the season. And the Chiefs have needed every one. They've allowed 65 points, but are still 2-0 because of Mahomes and a high-scoring offense. So we told you we're taking you to all 32 NFL cities. We're going to keep it going. We'll hit Los Angeles right here. The battle for Los Angeles goes down Sunday when the Rams take on the Chargers, marking the first game between two L.A. teams since November 1994. Sean McVay has the Rams off to their first 2-0 start since 2001. Rams reporter Lindsey Theory has more on the matchup. Well, Jack, Rams coach Sean McVay put it in simple terms. Anytime you see all 11 play together, you see a really good defense. And that is why the Rams are 2-0. They feature reigning NFL Defensive Player of the Year Aaron Donald and All-Pros and Dominican Sue Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib. Gone is the uncertainty of how so many stars, all with alpha dog mentalities, will fit together. We have one goal, Tlaib told me. As long as we all keep that one goal in mind, we'll be great. When asked how the defense has clicked so quickly posting six consecutive quarters of shutout football, Donald credited their ability to get along and also their desire to improve. When we really get going, Donald said, it's going to be scary. Jack? All right, thank you. So as you know, the Rams went all in this offseason. They have handed out $238 million in guarantees since the 2018 league year began. That's the second most in the NFL. It's paying off for Sean McVay and L.A., who have outscored opponents by an NFL-high 54 points and are arguably the most balanced team in the league thus far. More now on the undefeated crew. We'll, we'll start now to Cincinnati. We'll throw this thing to Cincinnati, where Catherine Terrell is standing by. There's a reason Bengals cornerback Drake Kirkpatrick has been carrying a football around. Kirkpatrick dropped two interceptions against the Ravens last week, and he wants in. His teammates have forced five total turnovers, two fumbles in key moments against the Colts and the Ravens to steal that game. The Bengals just might have the killer instinct needed to win, and that's why they're 2-0 and as they head into Carolina this week. Now let's go to Jeff Leichwald in Denver. Thank you, Catherine. Juno Broncos have certainly done it the hard way by a combination of four points in the two victories. Shervon Miller leads the league with four sacks, and running back Philip Lindsay has been an offensive revelation. If you're looking for the biggest reason the Broncos are undefeated, quarterback Case Keenum's play in crunch time. In two game-winning drives, Keenum is 9 for 13 for 126 yards. The Broncos have scored a field goal and a touchdown on those two drives. Now let's go to Michael DiRocco in Jacksonville. Thanks, Jeff. It is the Jaguars' defense, unsurprisingly, that's the reason this team is off to its best start since 2006. Calais Campbell and Unique Ngakwe may not have the sack totals we expected, but the Jaguars are pressuring quarterbacks on a third of their dropbacks, which is the fifth best in the league. Opponents have scored just three touchdowns, and they're averaging only 215 yards per game passing, which is 35 yards below the league average. Opponents are converting a third down only 32% of the time, and they scored just one touchdown on four red zone trips. For a report on the Miami Dolphins, here's Cameron Wolf. Thanks, Mike. 
The formula here in Miami starts with Ryan Tannehill, who's completing 73% of his passes, and he's spreading it around so everybody gets a taste. His legs are doing damage, too. After Sunday's win over the Jets, receiver Jakeem Grant asked Tannehill, when do you start running like that? He said, what you talking about? I've been running like that. There's a real team vibe here. The defense is having fun, too. Rashad Jones, Kiko Lazo and company have a league-leading five interceptions. Newcomers Robert Quinn and Minka Fitzpatrick are making a real impact. So from one 2-0 Fitzmagic to another, let's go over to Jenna Lane in Tampa. Thanks, Cam. The biggest reason for the Bucks starting the season 2-0? Fitzmagic! Yeah, Minka may have trademarked it, but everybody in Tampa knows that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the real magician here, and he is sawing defenses in half, especially on first down. Last year, the Bucks averaged 8 yards per pass attempt on first down. This year, 19 yards per attempt, and he's completing 83% of those passes. Deshaun Jackson told me, we're taking shots, we're taking chances, we're trusting each other, and he also told me, Fitz is playing out of this world right now. Back to you, Jack. All right, thank you, everybody. Tell you, Ooh, you that's need some good stuff right there. Hey, you need a little bit of that music. Are we working out the, the jazz hands on NFL? Are we whipping around, around the country. Magic? Yes, we're vibing it here. All right, so so we're looking at the undefeateds. We'll start with Joe Cena. Which two and O team are you most surprised by? Well, I have to pick up from my girl Jenna. Right, she yeah. had all that energy, so I'm going right back to the Bucks because even though I said it in the last segment, in terms of you didn't think that they would have this type of victory over the Eagles, you didn't think it would have to happen over the Saints, but when you really think about what backup quarterback in the NFL really could have got it done like this in the regular season. Teddy, coach, I don't even know if you could have said Nick Foles because my man doesn't necessarily get this done in the regular season, right? It's not until the postseason. Maybe Teddy Bridgewater in New Orleans maybe, but other than that, I can't think of anybody. But lastly, on a serious note, I I don't think you can understate the, the drama around the actual starting quarterback and how that really could have threatened to dismantle this team. So to have that level of questions and drama and what have you. And for them to have this momentum, I think, is really remarkable. So how about, how about which team we'll, – we'll stay with the undefeateds here. Which one of them stays undefeated the longest? What do you think, Coach? Uh, I, I thought about another team, but I'm going to go with the L.A. Rams. And what they did on defense, uh, you know, a lot's been made of some of their acquisitions. But let's not forget, it wasn't too long ago that both Aqib Tlaib and Wade Phillips went to a Super Bowl. So I think they understand the focus it takes a week in and week out to stay undefeated. They've got a tough matchup uh, battle of the L.A. teams this week, but I still like all right, the Rams to go undefeated the longest. Mm-hmm. All right, Teddy, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it right here. What about the team 2-0, and but they're still in trouble? I hate to stop the music because that was a good segment. <laughs> we had all that music going. But I'm going to say it's going to be a tough go for Denver. They go to Baltimore. Baltimore's coming off that Thursday night loss. They've got three, three. Uh, I mean, ten days to come off and figure some things out. Yep. September is an extension for the of the preseason for some of these teams, and I think the great coaching staff in Baltimore are going to figure some things out. Case Keenum possibly's got a little sore knee, so that could be some problems also. So I think Denver's in a little trouble going into a tough Baltimore stadium. Okay, there you go. Well, it's worth noting Case Keenum and the Broncos have had to rally from behind in the fourth quarter deficit, and both of their wins this season and. Keenum has the third best QBR in the fourth quarter of all QBs this season. So a new book is coming up this upcoming Tuesday on arguably the greatest coach in NFL history. It's titled Belichick, the making of the greatest football coach of all time. And the author is ESPN.com's Ian O'Connor, who is with us right now, along with three-time Super Bowl champ up there in New England, Teddy Bruschi. 
So I want to start with what's what's the single biggest thing in going into writing this book and interview what 350 people yep. throughout the course getting ready to do this thing. It's remarkable. The biggest thing you learned that you never would have thought going in just how different a human being Jack he is away from the facility. Just engaging, uh, approachable, friendly, and, and some of the acts of kindness and generosity that he's shared with many of his friends and associates and colleagues. He's so loyal to his coaches of the past, and when they've asked for favors, and he, he's always there for them. And I think the average fan, particularly outside of New England, has no idea that that character he created, that one-dimensional figure in a news conference, and it's something I'm sure that Teddy has seen behind behind closed doors, is not Bill Belichick. It's a character he created for the benefit of his program and his team. And really, I think a lot of his friends, and some of them told me privately, and didn't want to be named, but said, you can use this in the book. They actually want him to be more human so the public can see that side of him. Mm. And I, well, I've noticed a difference in Coach Belichick from current player to him and then being retired with him. I mean, the way that he was with me as a player and the way he is to a lot of his players and how you know, cut and dry it is, how black and white it is, and how, you know, how much pressure he always puts on you. It's always about the football game. It's always about your assignment and what you have to do to where when I retired, how even just communication with him seemed like a weight was dropped, you know, when we talk and we're around each other. And I, I honestly believe this to know that having played for him and then being retired now and knowing him that I think he has to keep that type of thumb on top of what he believes is winning football on all of his players because he realized there is going to come a point where there has to be a tough decision that's made, even with me, when he walked me into his office and said, Teddy, we think it's time. Yeah. And I say, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. You know, you try to talk him out of it, but still, yeah. yeah so what, what's, what's the biggest difference through the 350 interviews that you did between who we have come to know as Coach Belichick on the sideline and the press conferences and all the things, and who he actually is. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, Brian Flores is a very good defensive coach on his staff right now. A couple of seasons ago, the playoff game against Houston, people forget that was a dogfight in the first half. At halftime, that game was touch and go. He had a pregnant wife in the stands at Gillette Stadium who it seemed like she was going into labor. An ambulance raced her away from the stadium, so he, he gets a phone call, and at halftime of a game that could have destroyed their season, he says to Coach Belichick, uh, my wife's in this situation, and he said, if you need to go, go. Now, you would say most bosses in that situation and he would say that to an employee, but I wonder, people around the country, what they see of Bill Belichick in a news conference, that they'd be surprised that he would say at a halftime of a game that could really ruin their season, he's taking an important coach and saying, if you have to make a human decision and be with your wife, leave right now. Mm. His wife was fine. He didn't have to leave. She didn't have the baby till the next morning, so it worked out. But that's a story, I think, that shows that human side of Bill that he doesn't like to show in public. Teddy, what do you think? What, what is the biggest difference between those two things? The guy that we see in the sideline press conference and, of course, the, the man that you know. I think that the, the one thing that's on top of Coach Belichick's um, list when he's in front of the media is the protection of his players. Um, doesn't talk about injuries because you've seen it snowball when someone talks about an injury then all of a sudden you get doctors on tv with diagrams and they're showing the acl and they're showing the knee and all of that stuff so he's as vague as he possibly can to protect the interests of his player to protect possibly the strategies of his team of that week it's only about him holding things close to the vest he is a much different person in terms of who you see at a press conference yeah and has your relationship evolved since 
you retired, or is it still in some ways pretty similar? Yeah, it, it has. It, it has evolved, but still, even when I was a player in there, we used to laugh at Bill in, in front of the media and what he would say, and we'd bring it to, up to him in the, in, the, in the linebacker room or anything like that, and he was much more jovial with us, like taking out all of the chairs of the linebacker room and putting in rocking chairs when we were 30 years old and we were the 30 and over club. So that type of joking around was absolutely allowed with Coach Belichick. Listen, I don't think there's any question that, that Belichick and Brady may go down as the greatest coach and quarterback combination of all time. But there were reports this past year about increased tension between the two. And, Ian, there's, of course, going to be covered in the book. What did you learn about that specifically? Well, that in late March, he was still undecided, Tom Brady, uh, as far as coming back to play for Coach Belichick. And I, I think basically – Brady was at a point where, after 18 years of being coached in a relentless, grinding, unforgiving way, that wore him down. And, of course, the presence of Garoppolo, he gets traded. After that, Belichick decides to cut access to Alex Guerrero, Brady's uh, fitness coach and business partner. That caused that your problem. The benching of Malcolm Butler did not help. And Brady's at a situation in the offseason where he really has to make a decision. And he realizes if he walks away, because he did have those thoughts, even though I spoke with him on the phone last year and he talked about playing beyond 45, that if he walked away after letting them trade or inspiring them to trade Garoppolo, he actually would have ended up looking like the bad guy in that drama. He did not want that. When you were in the locker room, was there any difference between the way he would coach you or coach a safety or coach a defensive lineman and the way that he would coach Tom Brady? Uh, I think a, a word Ian just used was relentless, and it's nonstop. The pressure is. And for Tom to deal with it for 18 years is a testament to him and his mental toughness. But absolutely, we are allowed as players at times to say, man, this guy's crazy. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I said it myself at times, you know, when I was going under, under constant pressure to play linebacker. Uh, so if Tom goes through that too, I, I know exactly where he's coming from. But that's a natural emotional reaction when you're constantly pushed and pushed and pushed. But when it subsides and you get in that locker room, that's the only way championship players want it. You want to be coached hard. You want to be pushed hard. And you say, hey, coach, well, if you're pushing me, you better push that guy too. And he does every single one from quarterback to kicker. And that's why his players eventually, his players respect what goes on in that locker room because everyone's treated similarly. And I think he uses the coaching of Brady to impact everyone else. Dante Stallworth told me in a 2007 meeting early in that uh, preseason that Belichick blew up Brady in front of everybody. Just blew him up about the way he played against the Colts in the AFC title game that they lost. And Stallworth and Randy Moss looked at each other like, oh my God, if he's treating Tom Brady this way, what kind of accountability is he going to hold us to? But I think that coaching, the way he's coached the greatest football player of all time, has actually had a beneficial impact on the rest of the team and program, but it just caught up to Brady last season. And he had that, just I mean, in that same year, Sorry. in 2007, after the Baltimore Raven game, he blew up on me and Junior Seau yeah. for one play that we had for, for taking a wrong step. Yeah. But it was a message that was being sent, I think, because we were trying to go undefeated. And still, those little mistakes that had to be fixed, he wanted to make sure they were fixed because of what we were trying to achieve. And, and just quickly, I, I was reading some of the excerpts from the book, and one of the assistants saying that they could have done this with, what was it, 16 other quarterbacks around the league? Top 15. Or, but top 15. I, I don't think the spirit of that quote was not five championships. It yeah. was Bill could take the top 15 and win a championship with those quarterbacks. A lot of people disagree with that. I don't. Is that consistent with other people that you talk to? Throughout were, these I think that was a 50-50 split. But is there any way Aaron Rodgers has one title with Bill as his head coach? There's no way, right? Peyton Manning's going to have more than two. Joe Flacco might have two. Eli Manning might have three. 
I think. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just, just. just I think. Pump. I think Belichick let, let, is worth one title at least to a good quarterback who's proven he can win a championship. See what that is? That's a brake pump, right? Yep. Yeah. That's really what we need to do with this yep. arrogant, foolish quote of this assistant coach. And I don't know who it is, but mm-hmm. for him to say we could do it with any top fifteen is foolish. Yep. Right? And that's just an you arrogant. Mean one, one championship? You don't think Belichick's system could elevate any a good top, quarterback with a top fifteen with a top yeah. fifteen quarterback? I believe that's arrogant. That's a mm-hmm. coach saying my system's a system. Plug anybody in there, we'll do a good job. It's foolish. Interesting. So if Tom Brady is drafted to Tampa, whatever it was, eighteen whatever years ago, what does his career look like? Mm. We're talking ifs, man. I mean, yeah, I get you. Who, who, who's play, who yep. plays defense? Absolutely. Who's kicking in pressure situations? I mean, all of those questions. Who's the D coordinator? There's a lot of questions. All right, mm-hmm. to just say all we needed was this quarterback and it, whoever was there, it, it didn't matter. It's not happening. Yep. It's not happening. I apologize for going over, but I got to say this is just interesting stuff, and I couldn't imagine two better guys to talk to it about. Roughing the passer penalties continue to be the talk of the league. Sunday's penalty, this is the big one here. Clay Matthews hit on Kirk Cousins, paved the way for a Vikings rally and a subsequent tie in Green Bay. Today, Aaron Rodgers gave his take on those penalties. We got to gently lay the guy down, you know, <laughs> just gently lay them down, caress them, and all of that. You know, we enjoy the protection below the knee and, and above the shoulders, but I don't know many quarterbacks who want those calls. You know, there's, there's very few opportunities in the game for us to show any type of toughness. You know, we don't, we're not getting hit every play. But I'm a traditionist. You know, I've I watched the game and loved the game for a long time. And some of the rules, I think, help. Um, but some of the rules, you know, maybe are going, uh, going the wrong direction. Well, there's no question there's some work to do for the team started 0-2. Since the playoffs expanded to 12 teams in 1990, just 12% of teams that start 0-2 managed to make the playoffs, but teams off to a slow start can rebound. In each of the last five seasons, at least one team that has started 0-2 has gone on to make the playoffs. Last year, the Saints rebounded from an 0-2 hole to win the NFC South. So all the metrics point to one of these 0-2 teams making the playoffs. That's basically where we're at right now. We call this segment by all means. So I'll give you the team, and you tell me if their 0-2 start means everything, something, or nothing. Coach, we'll start with you. The Houston Texans, what does their 0-2 start mean? I'm just going to say uh, something. You know, obviously they've lost to two conference teams, both in New England uh, and at Tennessee last week, but I like Deshaun Watson, and I think they can come back. All right, Teddy, the Raiders 0-2, what does it mean? I'm going to say it means everything. I'll go everything here because as a head coach and John Gruden to make his players believe my stuff works. I mean, I think he needs a victory very badly. And also the Khalil Mack trade, of course, morale's down. And also you haven't won a football game. So I would say, yes, there's a lot of focus on this 0-2 record in the locker room. Khalil track trade may really mean everything. So we'll now go to Josine Giants 0-2. What do you think? Daddy Ruski hit me with that periwinkle color. Circle to something. (laughs) I'm saying it is something because the Giants are not just 3-13. They're 3-15 going back to last season. And this is also something because they had an overhaul, a change of the front office, a change of all these resources. They fortified the offensive line with quotation marks. They added Saquon Barkley. You're supposed to have these wins and right now they're not coming. So this is something but they're facing an 0-2 team in the Texans, so maybe they can turn it around. ESPN Titans reporter Teron Davenport tweeted this. Titans left tackle Taylor Rowan is in a walking boot, walking around the locker room. It's a good sign as his ankle's taped, and he will give it a go. He left Sunday's game against the Texans with a concussion.